Welcome to the Balanced Feminine Podcast. My name is Katie Derry, and I'm an intuitive eating coach. Through my own journey with an eating disorder, I have found the connection between real food, community, and a positive relationship to oneself. I truly believe that women can find healing and peace with their bodies through the nourishment of real food and self-love. And I'm Maddie Meshke. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner and certified personal trainer. After a long history of my own chronic digestive issues with really no answers to be found, I finally was able to heal my own gut and now live symptom-free. I help other women to do the same while also aligning with their feminine power. This is our show centered on helping women find a balanced lifestyle that nourishes mind, body, and spirit. We hope you enjoy. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Balanced Feminine Podcast. We are so beyond excited for this episode today. We are joined with Daryl Boschard. Did I say that? I got it. Okay, great. (laughs) We are so excited. He works for Redmond Salt. Um, Redmond's Real Salt. And if any one of you guys know what it is, it's the most amazing salt company. And yeah, we are huge fans and we've been using Redmond Salt for gosh, a long time, both Maddie and I. Yeah, we're both obsessed. Yeah, we've bonded (laughs) over it. So we are very excited to have Daryl on the podcast today. So Daryl, do you want to introduce yourself? Yes, Katie and Maddie, thank you so much for having me on the program today. Um, As you will find out, if you didn't already know, I'm a big fan of salt. I love talking (laughs) about salt. I could talk for hours, probably way longer than uh, than you would find interesting, but I'm just excited to be on the program today. A little bit about me. I grew up in Southern Utah, kind of Southern Central Utah, and uh, you know, it's a beautiful place. And underneath my grandfather's farm, there was this serendipitously, this beautiful vein of crystal salt. And so that's how I learned about salt. I have been around salt my whole life. And my dad said, if you didn't straighten up, I'm going to send you to the salt mine. <laughs> it wasn't just a joke or an idle threat. <laughs> I grew up in the salt mines and uh, I've just got a lot of fun things we can talk about when it comes to salt and health and, and wellness. So really appreciate you having me on today. Yeah, yeah we're excited to have <laughs> yeah. you here. Um, so I think one of the most important things that we should start off with is just the idea of salt being bad for you, because so many times when I'm the person with the little thing of salt in my purse, people are like, if you're so into health, then why do you use so much salt? And I'm like, well, <laughs> cause there's so much more to it than that. Yeah. Yeah. We'd love for you to elaborate on that because we definitely know being in the nutrition world, that is, that is just so false. It's not about well, it's about the salt you're using, not about, you know, salt being bad for you. So great introduction because salt is one of the most misunderstood minerals on earth for thousands of years. It sustained life. It was a source of trade. It was written about in almost every religious text historically. And yet today, if we had your listeners raise their hands, of course we can't see it, Mm -hmm. but my guess is if we said, Hey, who has heard salt is bad a high percentage, a very high percentage would probably raise their hand and say that they had heard that salt's bad for them. And yet, if any of us go to the hospital, the first thing they're going to do is they're going to give us an IV of saline solution, which is salt water. And if salt were were so terrible for us, you would not get an IV of salt water in every hospital in the world. In fact, an IV of anything but salt water would kill you. Like if you got an IV of distilled water or tap water or an IV of coffee, which although it might sound (laughs) good at, you know, at six in the morning, um, an IV of anything, but natural, you know, saline, which is salt water would, would be disastrous. So Mm -hmm. our bodies are saline solution in motion Mm -hmm. and our, our bodies have to conduct electricity and an electrolyte is something that helps your body conduct electricity. And so salt in orders of importance of, of our life, it would go, you know, oxygen and then water and then salt. And so salt is the third most important thing that's keeping you alive. And outside of a spiritual discussion, really the only difference in us being alive and chatting one moment and 
laying on the floor in bed the next moment, outside of a spiritual discussion, is the absence of an electric current. And so our bodies absolutely have to be able to conduct electricity and distilled water or, or water without minerals is a very poor conductor of electricity, which is why it is just so important that salt is seen as an important nutrient and not something to avoid. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. amazing. Do you think you could tell us a little bit about um, how Redmond's sea salt is different than, you know, most typical salts that are out there and kind of how you guys, yeah. Yeah, so salt in chemistry is an acid and a base that are bound together in a one-to-one ionic bond. So in chemistry, there's a lot of different salts. Uh, for instance, magnesium sulfate is known as a salt and calcium chloride is a salt. When we talk about human nutrition though, the salt that we always are referring to is sodium chloride because our, our bodies are sodium chloride based. If we look at the oceans and if we look at the, the, the early, early, you know, we went back, you know, eons ago and looked at the oceans, the oceans were about as salty as we are and our bodies are 0.9% salt. And so if you went in the ocean in the pre-mortal sea, those, that ocean water wouldn't sting your eyes because it was also the same salinity as we are. Over time, the oceans have gotten increasingly salty. The oceans today are between two and 3% salt generally, and our bodies are 0.9. And so if you went and swam in the ocean and it's going to sting your eyes and it's going to sting your nose, that's because it's three times saltier than your body is where if you were to take saline solution and get an IV, there would be no, you'd, there's no sensation or you rinse your eyes with saline solution and it won't dry them out because our bodies are that 0.9%. So all, all, human, all humanity has, has started around access to salt deposits because without salt, people and animals die. So if you look at early civilizations, they started around access to salt deposits. And so how Redmond salt, which is this, you know, crystal salt from Utah was discovered was long before the, the settlers came through the Utah Valley, the Native Americans had actually harvested salt from this ancient seabed that was deposited here in Utah. And so when the settlers came into the valley, they found this salt that had been accessed by the, by the early Native Americans that had since moved on. But there was, there were these salt that these spots where the, the ground had been disturbed, that not only had, you know, early animals access to this crystal deposit, but also early man had access to the deposit. And so this source of salt has been discovered a long, long before the settlers had come into the, this part of central Utah. In fact, when they did the excavations down at the, um, uh, the Mesa Verde, State Park, which is a Native American historic site with these big cliff dwellings, they found salt from this deposit tracked all the way down to Mesa Verde, which was pretty amazing. So we know this salt was important for early man. And so when the settlers came into the valley, they started also accessing this salt and selling it for to livestock and for roads. And, and this beautiful crystal salt was then used, and now you can find it in the health food stores across the country. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maddie and I, we like seek out whenever we're somewhere, we're like, do they have Redmond salt at this grocery store? <laughs> yeah. Always on the lookout. For yeah. <laughs> well, what, what's really neat about this particular deposit is geologists, when, when people think of salt in Utah, everybody tends to think, oh, this must be the Great Salt Lake. Right. Well, the Great Salt Lake is the remnants of a lake called Lake Bonneville. And so when you're in the Salt Lake Valley, if you ever come into Salt Lake to go skiing, you look up on the hills, you'll yeah. see watermarks um, on the benches, right? Yeah. And these, these watermarks are the old shoreline of Lake Bonneville, and it receded down and left us what we call the Great Salt Lake today. And so people just assume that any salt from Utah is part of this old lake called Lake Bonneville, which is the remnants of the Bonneville Salt Flats. Well, Lake Bonneville is actually a really new deposit in the geologic time frame. Wow. Long before Lake Bonneville, there was a lake covering most of Utah, parts of Idaho, parts of Arizona, parts of New Mexico, this massive inland sea during the Jurassic era. Now, Jurassic era is 
150 to 250 million years ago, according to geologists. Mm -hmm. And Lake Bonneville was like 60,000 years ago. So this sea that the, the real salt or the Redmond real salt is remnants of was this ancient seabed laid down during the dinosaurs long before we had things like the BP spill and the Exxon Valdez spill and the, the cruise ships and the microbeads and the plastics and the pharmaceuticals and the big, you know, islands of, of plastic that are floating in our oceans today. You know, unfortunately, we humans have not been a great steward of this planet that we live on. Right. And because of that, and because water is a universal solvent, whether it's the Japanese, you know, nuclear meltdown or the, the Gulf BP oil spill, you know, as, as good as we try to clean up some of these messes that we've caused, it's still a concern for a lot of people with what's in our ocean waters today as people are flushing pharmaceuticals. And, you know, thankfully, they've banned, you know, microbeads and plastics that are starting to show up across you know, all of the, all of the, the coasts and in, in fish and all of this, that fortunately the earth didn't have to deal with 150 million years ago when this ancient mineral salt was laid down. That's now known as, as real salt. Yeah. 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 That's incredible. That, that's such a good thing to realize too, because I think sea salt is, you know, obviously better than table salt, but also remembering that it's exposed to all those different toxins and impurities that are in the ocean today. So yeah. finding something like an uh, ancient seabed or ancient salt deposit is really great, a great source to be getting your salt from. Yeah. Yeah. This might, might be a good time to talk a little bit about definitions as well, because you bring up yeah. a really good point. You know, years ago, if we went back to the 1960s or 70s and we said, is is sea salt better it probably was back then um mm -hmm. today though if, if you walk into the grocery store you can buy a product that's labeled as sea salt but look at the label on it and that label of you know a sea salt can have more additives than even the traditional table salt that's also not a great option either right. and so before we end today I'll, I'll give you my top three things i said there's three <laughs> questions you have to ask <laughs> and if you ask these three questions, I think you can find a great salt, you can find great um, protein source, you can find, you know, great produce. And, and I think these are three really good questions. Even if you want to buy a nice mountain bike, I think these three questions <laughs> will, uh, will, will steer you in the right direction. Three questions to live by. Yeah. <laughs> we'll tell her husband who wants to buy a mountain bike. No, oh, you already bought one. Oh. <laughs> you we might to have to talk. <laughs> yeah. Well, do you want to dive into those three questions right now, or did you want to save them for the end? Um, yeah, we can jump right in unless there's other you know questions on. Oh, no, we'll save that. them for the end. Yeah, yeah, I just wasn't sure. Um, I guess one question I had was when you look at the different, there's so many different colors of salt um, and like what what does that mean? You know, cause we see reds, yeah. we see pinks, we see whites, we see blacks, but there's gotta be some kind of nutrient quality going on there. I mean, I don't know what the answer is, but I would love to hear your take on it. Yeah. Cause I think a lot of people are very, very confused these days of like, what's the best salt to be consuming and what's the difference. And you know, they just get so overwhelmed. So yeah. yeah. Well, now that we know that salt is essential for life, it's, it's not the salt that's the problem. Mm -hmm. um, then we just said, okay, so how did salt become this health destroyer? If, I mean, it wasn't just, you know, it wasn't crazy. I mean, somehow they linked salt to health outcomes. And how did that happen? Well, if we back up a little bit, before the invention of the refrigerator, all of us would have eaten more salt. Mm -hmm. Because if we don't have a refrigerator to preserve our food, we have to preserve that food somehow off season. And a great way to do that is, is through salt. And the reason that salt's a great preservative is salt is, a, is naturally hygroscopic. And hygroscopic means absorbs moisture. And so if you have a piece of meat, you can take salt and, and cake it on the meat. And that salt will suck the blood and the juice out of the meat and dry the meat out. And so jerkies were preserved. Jerky or meat was preserved or fish. You can preserve it with salt. Because you cake it in salt, the salt sucks out the blood, sucks out the juice. And now without the blood and the juice in the, in the fish, it won't go bad. Mm. And that's how you preserved with salt. And similarly, if we wanted to store cabbage or vegetables, uh, we would make sauerkraut, we would make kimchi, 
And we would do that with salt to preserve these foods so we could eat them out of season. Otherwise they would spoil and, and would go bad. And so before the refrigerator, all of us would have eaten more salt because we would have had to preserve our foods somewhere, somehow else besides just putting it in the fridge or the freezer. Mm. And, and because salt is a great preservative, unfortunately, a lot of our processed foods today, you know, foods last way longer than they should because they take right. food that's really poor quality anyway, full of sugars and artificial stuff. They add copious amounts of processed salt to it to make it last longer than it ever should. And then we wonder why we have health problems. And so they did some studies and they said, you know, let's look at these salty foods, but we'll just take the salt and we'll feed these lab animals extremely high amounts of processed salt and see what happens. And sure enough, if you feed processed salt in super high quantities to, to a mouse, it really struggles. And so they said, well, it must be the salt problem. And they didn't stop to look, you know, how much are they feeding it? How much water is, does, the, does the mouse have access to? And so there was a study published in 1954. And this, this study, uh, the title was Evidence for the Relationship Between Sodium Chloride Intake and Human Essential Hypertension. And in this study, they did feed mice copious amounts of salt and saw a mild elevation in blood pressure and some negative cardiovascular outcomes. And that's why they said, well, salt's the problem. Not stopping to say, you know, would anybody in their right mind eat that much? Right. And two, it's a processed version of it. Um, and forgetting the link between hospitals and IV and saline solution that keeps us alive and salt. And so this, that's how salt became known as this health destroyer, because this one article published in 1954. Yet before then, people were eating way more salt. But the nature of salt also at that time changed. And so that's where I was kind of going with that story. So if we went to salt, you know, three, 400 years ago, the way salt was created, salt is taken from either an ancient seabed or a current ocean or the Dead Sea. So it's a sea, regardless of the age of that sea, which is why you can use the term sea salt for all these salts, because at some point it comes from the ocean. It might be a current ocean like the San Francisco Bay or the Gulf of Mexico. It might be a dead sea like the Dead Sea in Israel or the Dead Sea in Utah called the Great Salt Lake. Or it could be an ancient seabed, the seabed that was laid down eons ago, like the Himalayan pink salt is an ancient seabed. The Bolivian pink salt that comes out of Bolivia is a ancient seabed. Or the real salt that's here in Utah is from an ancient seabed. But seabed is consistent, whether it's a current, an ancient, or a dead sea. But the question is now, what do we do to that salt? And like a lot of, of foods today, salt manufacturers years ago realized that they could take seawater that occurs with trace amounts of all of the these natural elements. And they could pull the seawater off into a pond, use a different liner and pull out the magnesium chloride. They could move it to the next pond with a different liner, pull out the potassium chloride, move it to the next pond, pull out the calcium chloride, move it to the next pond. And so through a series of evaporation ponds, they could eliminate some of these other chlorides that are really important. Our, our bodies operate off a sodium potassium pump that help regulate the intercellular and extracellular fluids. So if we take this, the potassium out of seawater, then we take the magnesium out of seawater, we take the calcium out of seawater, and now we have the sodium and chloride left, that's a problem because our bodies need it in the complex form. It'd be like you know, taking an orange that's great a source of vitamin C, which is an ascorbic acid complex, pulling out the ascorbic acid, pulling out the other micronutrients that are attached to ascorbic acid, and then selling you the orange left. And yet that's what salt companies started to do and do today. A lot of salt companies today, they, they refine those other important chlorides off the water first, even in the Great Salt Lake here in Utah. You know, the, the Great Salt Lake has a lot of magnesium. And so what they do is they take that seawater, they hit it with electrolysis and different processes, they can pull off the magnesium, and then they can still sell the remaining as salt for the roads once the magnesium has been pulled off. But you know that our bodies need magnesium. Yeah, yeah. And so, so that's the first problem. A lot of salts are processed in that way, which you know, is, is not ideal because we need a complex, not a, a single nutrient. 
Mm-hmm. Then the bigger factor that I think comes into play is salt, as I mentioned, is hygroscopic. It sucks water out of the air. And that's important because salt's job in the body is to regulate moisture, mm-hmm. right? It's supposed to help regulate the intercellular, extracellular fluids. But when you have a salt crystal on your kitchen counter and you're in Florida or a humid day, even here in Utah, the salt crystal will get wet because it's actually sucking water out of the air. It's like a dehumidifier. Wow. In fact, in a in, in preserving meats, they'll put big salt crystals in like a dry aged beef room because it sucks the moisture out of the meat. And that's, that's, a, that's what, how you get dry aged is by putting a, de, a dehumidifier and sucking the moisture out and salt does that. Wow. The problem with that is that that makes the salt crystals clump in the shaker. So if you have a shaker of salt and it's humid, it sucks water out of the air. And now this, the salt kind of clumps in the shaker. Mm-hmm. And so if you've ever had a natural salt in a shaker, like the real salt with the blue lid, you kind of have to tap on it sometimes to kind of break it up if you haven't used it for a few months. And you do that because there's no chemicals added as an anti-caking agent. Now, mm-hmm. if you look at the anti-caking agents, there's things like yellow preciative soda, which is sodium ferrous cyanide, that's sodium iron cyanide. You've got calcium silicoaluminate, which is similar to the antiperspirant chemicals that stop your body's interaction with moisture. You've got things like tricalcium phosphate. You've got other chemicals. There's, there's a whole list of chemicals, propylene glycol 400. All of these chemicals that can be added to salt and coat the salt crystal so the salt crystal no longer interacts with moisture. And that's, that's what they do with a lot of table salts, a lot of sea salts. If you look at the ingredients, there's, there's, there's things, you know, sodium bicarbonate, not that bad one to add, but there's a lot of them. Yellow prussiate soda, sodium ferrocyanide, anti-caking E535, tricalcium phosphate, propylene glycol, which is actually antifreeze, just a little bit different than antifreeze. Wow. Um, and these chemicals, they're all added to, to stop the salt interacting with moisture, which is a problem because if you look at salt's role in the body, it's to regulate moisture. Mm-hmm. And so you're taking this salt that's supposed to give us life and balance our bodies, and you're coating that crystal with something that stops its ability to react with moisture. And then we wonder why we have blood pressure, water retention, you know, all these problems, right. but we're, we're, we're eating this chemical substance. Well, you, you're eating salt that's been demineralized and then coated with an, with an anti-moisture chemical to stop the salt's ability to do what it's supposed to do in the body. I'm sorry, I'm getting passionate, but that's no, why that. salt is so different. Yeah. yeah. Well, I have, I'd be interested to see what your take is on this too, because I, from my learning and understanding, one big part of hypertension isn't necessarily, it's, it doesn't have anything to do with salt and more so has to do with our carbohydrate intake. Um, because we intake an absurd amount of carbohydrates that we never did in the past and they're all processed and the way carbohydrates and salt interact in our body is when we consume less carbohydrates, then our body kind of dumps salt a little faster. But when we consume all those carbohydrates, our body's holding on to more of that salt. So we're just really living in this state of, it's just not, it's unnatural. Um, so of course it's going to cause hypertension and all these bad things when you're consuming salts that aren't actually a complete mineral combined with a processed carbohydrate and amounts that are way too high that we have never taken in in the past. So you're absolutely right. And glycogen is a big part of that. You know, our, if we're eating high amounts of carbohydrates and we're not consuming them, um, those turn into glycogen storage, right? And then eventually long-term fat storage. And every gram of glycogen will actually bind to two to three grams of water. And so one of the reasons people talk about this keto flu and this, this flush and why electrolytes are so important when somebody switches over to, to less you know, processed carb heavy diets is because they will start flushing the glycogen out. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you do that, you start losing all of this water weight because mm-hmm. two to three grams of water are attached to the gram of glycogen. Mm-hmm. And so as we're, we're flushing those excess carbs and we're you know, cleaning our bodies out, you will lose a lot of water weight. And sometimes you feel kind of crappy because you're flushing a lot of electrolytes as you're flushing that salt or as you're flushing that water. Yeah. And um, another thing is when doctors recommend that someone goes on a low salt diet for hypertension, basically what they're doing is just dehydrating them to a point where they're reducing the amount of blood in their system. 
And so that is what reduces that blood hitting against the vessel. But rather instead, because no one, because people are just so tied up on consuming their processed carbohydrates rather than just switching out for a little healthier diet. And then you could still keep the salt. You could still stay hydrated and you would be so much more healthy. But I, I have a personal experience with that where the doctor basically told my grandma she had hypertension and some heart issues, basically told her she could have no salt at all. And she almost died because she was so dehydrated and she just passed out and they rushed her to the hospital. And the other doctor was like, wait, they told you to do what? (laughs) But I think it's kind of just backwards the way we get all mixed up about solving the villain when really it's just everything else that's the villain. (laughs) Especially, uh, and to, to add to that, when somebody tries to start eating more healthy, as you do, your total sodium content drops quite a bit. You know, somebody's eating out of a lot of processed cans and soups and processed foods, they are getting high amounts of sodium and they need to have enough, you know, potassium, magnesium and water to offset that. Mm -hmm. You know, as you listen, you know, animals in nature don't overdose on sodium um, because they're actually a little smarter than we are. If you watch horses, they will, they will eat salt and then they'll go drink water. Um, and they'll, they'll balance those, those minerals and those nutrients and carbohydrates is an interesting one, particularly, you know, we humans have gotten really used to having abundant food everywhere we go. Um, you know, if we went back thousands of years ago, we'd have to be a lot more, you know, intentional and careful about our eating habits. Right. Yeah. And, you know, today, oftentimes we might think we're craving sugar or craving potato chips, but we're really craving is salt. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of people know that water is good for them and they'll, they'll drink, you know, good amounts of water. I mean, obviously a lot of people probably are dehydrated too, but as you're drinking water, you have to offset that with good, clean salt. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we, we interpret this salt, what is really a salt craving we interpret for, for bread or potato chips or even sugar. And so one of the things that I do, I actually have a, a jar or a dish of salt crystals that I keep you know, pretty yeah. handy. And, you know, if I feel like I'm getting hungry, even in the middle of the day, um, you know, just putting a little piece of salt under your tongue wow. actually is very satisfying. You know, it, it solves sugar cravings. It solves, you know, carbohydrate cravings because oftentimes our bodies, our bodies need so much good, clean water and good, clean salt. And today, you know, because of our lifestyles, we have sometimes, you know, forgotten that a craving doesn't mean right. I need a Snickers bar or a craving doesn't mean I need a bag of potato chips. A craving might be, I need some good, clean water and some good, clean salt. Cause that's really what our bodies are based on. Absolutely. Yeah. I think there's a lot of misinformation out there today and people are unfortunately not in touch with their bodies enough to know what it's really asking of them. And so like you were saying, when they get a craving, it's like, oh, I want a bag of chips or I want a Snickers. And it's like, no, the, the body itself is a really amazing vessel and it knows what it needs. And if you, I mean, were to listen to it more often than just listening to like what a doctor says or someone says, I think we'd be more in touch with what it really needs. So, yeah. Now, um, you did ask a really important question. I kind of sidetracked this and you're asking about colors and the differences in salt. So I'll go back to that. Um, so there's, there's a lot of beautiful salt all over the world. And obviously I'm a little biased because I think the, the salt here from Utah, from this ancient seabed is, is one of the best salts in the world, but there's other really good salts out there. Yeah. So salt in nature should look more like a snowflake in that it should be unique. Every crystal should not look the same. If you take salt from your kitchen cupboard and you put it on your palm and, and every crystal looks like it came out of a factory and they're all identical crystals, you'll know that that's not the way nature created it. Mm. Every flake should look different, should look very unique. Um, and within that, there's a lot of different varieties of good natural salt. So one of the best ways to, to harvest salt from a current ocean would be the way the ancients always did that. And they would take salt from the San Francisco Bay or the, the Mediterranean. They would pull the water into a clay lined pond. And the lining of clay was important because clay stops the salt water from just disappearing into the ground. If it was a sandy bottom, you take the salt water, you put it on sand, it just sucks into the ground and you don't, there's nothing left. But if you line that pond with clay, which is usually a, a gray color, 
that creates a barrier so the salt won't suck into the soil and it can evaporate in a single pond. So you bring out the seawater from the Mediterranean into a clay lined pond, you let it sit. Seawater is about two to three percent sodium chloride. Max salinity is about 24, 25%. So as the water comes in, it's 2%. As the water starts to evaporate, the salt becomes six, seven, 20. At 24%, the salt starts to fall out of suspension because the water can't hold anymore onto the bottom of that pond. And eventually you have this layer of salt on top of this layer of clay. And so they would go out with rakes and they would rake up these salt crystals. And because that clay lined pond is typically gray, this is where you get the French gray salt from. Mm -hmm. And it's gray clay that's pulled into the salt. So you get this light, uh, very light, dusty gray color. And you get this natural salt crystal full of the minerals in the ocean. And that's how you get gray salt. If that same process is done in Hawaii, in Hawaii, they have red clay they'll line that pond with. And so as the water comes on, it's called Hawaiian red. And that red Hawaiian salt is pulling up that color from the red Hawaiian clay. And if you do the same thing with activated charcoal in the water, then you get a really pretty black salt because that activated charcoal then mixes with the salt crystals and you get a kind of an activated charcoal black salt. So those are the main colors that you will see from an ocean, from a current ocean today. Um, and then you also have like the Himalayan pink, which is a crystal salt. Same process just took place eons ago. And that salt bed in the Jurassic era was laid down on into a clayey soil with the minerals from the ocean and the, and the probably volcanic ash activity. And that gives you that pinkish color that comes out of the Himalayan salt, the Bolivian salt, or the Redmond real salt from those ancient minerals and clays that were deposited with the salt crystals, just like the Hawaiian or the, uh, or the French gray salt today. And then, then you have some other fun ones on top of that. There's a really unique blue salt from Iran. Oh, wow. um, you don't eat it. <clears throat> it has some uh, very high in sulfur, so it has a funny taste to it. Oh. <laughs> you also can do a bamboo salt, which gives it a, a nice black color and has a, like a, a sulfur, a sulfur, yeah. a sulfur taste to it. And then you have things like smoke salt, where you take the salt because it's hygroscopic, it absorbs smoke, and then you can have a nice smoked salt. And a lot of manufacturers, including us, have a, a smoked salt that we sell for yeah. vegetables and meat rubs. Wow, that sounds really good. Yeah, that sounds yummy. <laughs> um, so one of the questions I had was, so we know that iodine is good for us. It, um, it's essential. But what about iodized salt? Did I say that correct? Iodized. Yeah, I always pronounce that word. <laughs> um, is that a good source of salt, a good source of iodine? So no discussion on salt today would be complete without a discussion on iodine because yeah. we've all come to associate iodine and salt. What most people don't realize is that association wasn't a thing until World War I. And in World War I, the U.S. started the draft. And in the Midwest, the US military noticed that men that were getting drafted out of the Midwest had a high percentage of goiter. This is a, a thyroid issue, the thyroid swells and you get this big lump on your throat and you can't draft men into the military if they have a big goiter. Yeah. And so they linked, they were smart enough to link this goiter problem out of the Midwest to an iodine deficiency. And they said, we absolutely have to solve this iodine problem. Um, now keep in mind, this is World War I and people are eating a lot of processed flour. They're eating out of cans. This is, you know, kind of everybody was eating white sugar, white flour, poor diet. And in the Midwest, a very low fish diet because they're miles away from the coast. They're not eating kelp or seaweed or dulse um, and eating out of a lot of kind of that steak potato um, mm. processed food belt. And so scientists got together and said, how do we solve this problem? I really hope that somebody raised their hand and said, let's have a campaign on the importance of eating foods rich in iodine. And let's have a campaign to tell people, hey, eat some seaweed, eat some fish, eat some kelp, eat some you know, mozzarella cheese, eat some good foods that have natural levels of iodine yeah. and do what you can to avoid you know, the stuff that's you know, iodine blockers. Well, what they ended up doing was finding a food they could add iodine to, to force iodine consumption. Kind of like some cities add fluoride to water, 
which right. is a completely different discussion, but they do that so you can force the population to eat something or consume something they might not otherwise. And so they found that you could take iodine, it's not stable in flour, it's not stable in water, but they can add it to salt. And so they took a stable form of iodine, it's called potassium iodide, and they made a law that said if a salt company does not add iodine to their product, they have to put a statement on the drug that says this salt does not supply iodide a necessary nutrient. Even if the salt contains natural iodine, which natural salt will, if you don't add processed iodine to it, you have to put a warning that says, warning, this salt does not supply iodine a necessary nutrient. And so from then on, we started to associate iodine with salt. Now, iodine is essential. Like everybody that within the sound of our podcast should probably go out of their way to add iodine to their diet. Without iodine, all kinds of problems show up. Goiter's just the tip of the iceberg from, from reproductive health to emotional health to, to fitness level to um, obesity, every function, the body needs iodine and most of us don't get enough. But iodine in salt is a poor source. In fact, less than 10% of the iodine that's added to iodized salt is actually bioavailable. Your body just can't use it when it's attached to salt in that way. Wow. And so, yes, iodine and salt, an important discussion, but really we need to go out of our way to, to, to manage those separately okay. uh, because iodine added to salt is a poor way to get your iodine. Wow. That's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That's a super good thing to know. Yeah. I think that that's one of the main questions that always comes up around salt. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm, we were kind of wondering, and I've gotten, we've gotten asked this before is, um, how is salt generally produced? Like, and how is real salt produced? So salt can be produced several different ways from the current ocean. I kind of explained that process where they can take the salt and the natural way to do that is to bring the salt all together and let it settle off all at once. The process way to do that is to have a series of evaporation ponds so you can leach off those other complex chlorides. Um, So that's how you get it from a current ocean. Mm -hmm. You can get it from an ancient seabed two different ways. One of those, say underneath the city of Chicago, there's a massive amount of salt, but it's so deep that they don't go and extract it um, in the crystal form. So what you can do is you can take what they call solution mining, and you can take distilled water and pump it down a big hole into the bottom of this seabed way underneath the city of Chicago. Fresh water or distilled water will eat away the salt and dissolve it until the water hits 26% sodium and chloride because that's max salinity. So once the fresh water is now dissolved, all of this salt under the, under the city of Chicago, you can pump that water back up And then you can use a vacuum pan evaporator and evaporate that water, adding chemicals to it to stop it from reclumping. And that's how you would get vacuum pan evaporation or a lot of your your, table salt that people consider table salt that looks that beady uniform shape that's produced in a vacuum pan evaporator. And then the other way to do that is to harvest it in its crystal form. And so the Himalayan pink salt, the Bolivian pink salt, the Redmond real salt, this ancient seabed occurs close enough to the surface that then you can go underground and grind or break off these salt crystals and then crush it. And um, so here in Utah, we do that with a, looks like a big tiller and kind of chews the salt off the wall. Mm -hmm. And then once the salt's chewed off in this crystal form, we just crush it and screen it. And uh-huh. so you could take this salt crystal with a hammer and a screen out of your kitchen window. And that's essentially the entire processing that we do to the salt. Um, other underground operations will use different um, processes. You know, if you go to the, the Himalayan uh, region there in Pakistan, where all the Himalayan salt comes from, mm-hmm. there's a lot of different tribes that operate those mines. And, and some of those, they use heavy equipment. Some of those, they use donkey trains. Um, a lot of different ways you can extract the salt. Have wow, you, that's super cool. Have you ever been there and seen it? <laughs> no, I haven't. I do have a friend, actually, his family operates a mine, um, both in Pakistan and a, a, I know of a salt miner in Afghanistan. Wow. Um, 
I have planned on going over, but neither time it's been convenient for me that both said it's not a good time to come yeah. visit. So, <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Um, I have been down to Peru and I've seen some of the salt works down there. Um, wow. I'd love to get to Salzburg and see the, the, big, the big salt cathedrals under the ground in Germany, but uh, that's still on the bucket list as well. Yeah, that's so cool. Can, oh, sorry. Oh, I was just going to ask, I think um, one question that's really on my mind, especially as a nutritionist, to make sure I'm you know, making the right recommendations for my client is my clients is what would you recommend as a daily salt intake for, I mean, I guess we could, it probably varies depending of course on diet, but also exercise level, but maybe just for the average person, what is your, your general recommendation? So there's two books that I really like, and both are written by MDs. And, and I usually like to default to them because I bet they're actually there's, there's another, there's three really good ones. So the first one is a book called your body's many cries for water. It was written by a Dr. Batman Gelly. Um, if your parents were into the health food movement back in the seventies, that name was a lot more common than it is today. Cause he's you know, died years ago. Um, and his book was called your body's many cries for water. Then there was another book called Salt Your Way to Health, written by a Dr. David Brownstein. He's a practicing doctor in the Midwest. And then there was a new book written by Dr. James D. Nicolantonio called The Salt Fix. And in all of their books, they say, generally salt your food liberally. If you're eating good, clean food and you have good, clean salt, salt your food liberally. One, it tastes better. Two, it aids in digestion. You know, you mentioned your grandma who was put on a low salt diet. One of the first things that people notice when they switch to a low salt diet is their digestion goes to pot. Mm -hmm. You know, our bodies digest food with hydrochloric acid, which is hydrogen and chloride, HCL. And so we often get zeroed in on the sodium and the potassium and magnesium, but we forget about the chloride. And the chloride is a really essential nutrient in our body because it allows us to digest food. And so when somebody, you know, goes onto a low salt diet, they end up with so low chloride, they, they usually end up having digestion issues because of the, the lack of chloride. And so we, we need, we need both of those. And so what I say is like they, like Dr. Brownstein, like James D. Antonio and Dr. Batman Gelly eat good, clean food you know, try to get rid of the processed foods first, then add good, clean salt to your food to make it taste good. Cause our bodies actually are pretty smart if we listen to them and they'll crave, they'll crave salt. Mm-hmm. It's not craving potato chips or French fries. Typically <laughs> it's craving salt um, and, and drink plenty of water. And then the other aspect is if we're, you mentioned exercise, you know, if we're exercising, I sounds like I would get along with your husband really well because I love the mountain bike. Um, <laughs> And as I'm mountain biking and you're sweating and you're losing salt, you know, all of the time. Um, in fact, when I'm done mountain biking, if I go out for a full day, I'll have like sweat, like white, you know, sweat rings from the salt oh, yeah. on my backpack. When on I get done backpack. trail running, I have salt down my face. <laughs> it's really funny. I and mean, I can like take it off and like have salt on my finger. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, our, our tears are salt. Our sweat is salt. Our urine is salt. Um, you know, our bodies just burn through salt and we have to replace that. So particularly for athletes, I would say not only salt your food liberally, but for every quart of water that you're drinking throughout the day, as you're doing this physical activity is to replace that by adding a quarter teaspoon of salt per quart of water. You know, if we went to the hospital and got an IV bag Mm -hmm. and then got our, our bill at the end, when we left the hospital, would be charged probably several hundred dollars for that bag of saline solution. Mm-hmm. Yet, you know, you can make your own with a quart of water and a quarter teaspoon of, of good, clean, natural salt. Yeah. And so if you are, you know, doing hot yoga, you're a roofer, you're a firefighter, you're, you know, going down just to work in the garden and you're sweating and losing salt, we absolutely have to replace those lost salts. And rather than grabbing the pink sports drink or, you know, even some of these, you know, stick packs that are supposed to give us salt and energy mm-hmm. by taking good, clean salt, adding it to our water, mm-hmm. you're really not only save tons of money, save tons of packaging, but we're going to be miles ahead because we're going to be getting good, clean salt and water, which is what we need, not, 
you know, yellow number five and red number 40 and all the other sugar that's added to so many products today. Yeah. One, this might be fun for the listeners, especially if you're like a pretty good athlete is I recommend the same thing, a quart of water, um, a quarter teaspoon of salt, and then also a tablespoon and a half of maple syrup. Cause that just helps aid that sodium glucose transport mechanism. So that's a really great way to substitute those nasty, nasty energy drink or not sports drinks. So, and, and it also, you know, you, you throw the maple in there and it gives you a nice little clean energy boost too. Yeah, so a, exactly. a great, a great way to replace those. And I think if you're doing that, you know, most people aren't going to overdose on salt. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if, if you went out of your way and ate, you know, high and high amounts of salt and you weren't drinking enough water, you're going to have problems. Just like if you drank high amounts of water with no salt. Yeah. You know, if you, if you look at the kidneys now, I would, if, if one of your listeners is in, you know, kidney failure, just ignore everything we've said. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because if, if you can't, if your kidneys are shutting down, you can't process salts. And, and that's a very different discussion, but a healthy kidney can actually process about four ounces of salt in a day. Now I wouldn't recommend that, but if you went into the hospital and got, you know, bags and bags of saline solution move through you, you might need a catheter, but your body can, can process and flush a lot of fluid. If it's at 0.9%, if you're getting high amounts that are, that are higher than that and not getting enough water, or you're getting a lot of, you know, empty carbohydrates that are attached to that salt. And that salt is coated in a chemical that stops the salt's ability to interact with moisture as it should. And we're not getting, you know, adequate amounts of calcium, potassium, magnesium that all work in, in conjunction with sodium, yeah, you're going to have some problems, but if you're getting natural food, natural salt and good, clean water, the, the levels can be way higher than most people think. Yeah. Um, that's so amazing. Yeah. All right. Well, I think I'm ready to hear these questions. I yeah. Think. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll, I'll give you these three questions to answer. What is, you know, how do I find a good salt? Mm-hmm. But the next time you're buying a mountain bike, which, you know, <laughs> um, mine's getting kind of old, so it might be time. <laughs> I, I'm sure if your husband likes the mountain bike, he also likes to buy mountain bikes. So yeah. I would take a lot of encouragement. So, okay. So the three questions, the first question is who is producing it? Um, you know, today with salt, that's really important because salt train can change so many hands and you, you don't you know, you walk into the grocery store, a big box store, and you buy a shaker of salt, knowing actually who made that salt is increasingly difficult. And I think knowing who made that is important, because then you can find the answers to the next two questions. Because if you don't know who's producing it, then you can't know the answers to the next two questions. The next question is, what's the source? You know, where is it coming from? You know, we talked a little bit today about some of the problems in our current oceans. We have the Gulf of Mexico, you know, we had the BP spill there. We've got the San Francisco Bay, which, you know, the, the Exxon Valdez spill ended up clear down, you know, into the Mexican Riviera. We have the Japan meltdown. And so knowing the source of this salt is really important. Um, and, and when the salt was produced, again, is very important because maybe the Mediterranean has some great salt. And I've got some friends with deposits there that shortly after the, that cruise ship went down in in the Mediterranean would not be a good time to be getting salt from that area. Mm-hmm. So knowing the source is really important. Is it a current ocean? Is it from an ancient seabed? Is it from a dead sea? You know, here in Utah, unfortunately, the Great Salt Lake is one of the most polluted bodies of salt water there is. Mm-hmm. You know, for years and years, a lot of the manufacturing around the Great Salt Lake, they just dumped a lot of their the byproduct mm-hmm. into the Great Salt Lake. It was also used to jettison fuel for aircraft. Wow. And so it's really high in mercury and, and not a great body of salt water if you're gonna consume it. So knowing the source is really important. The final question is know the process. Um, when it comes to salt, are they putting anything in like the anti-caking agents we mentioned? Are they taking anything out like the other chlorides that occur in natural salt? And whether you're you know, buying a nice cosmetic for your face, or you're buying some eggs down at the farmer's market, or you're buying a really nice mountain bike, which I recommend everybody do. Um, (laughs) If you, if you know who's producing it, um, if you know the source, you know, where is it coming from? How are they sourcing it? What are the food miles? You know, what type of labor practices I think are all, you know, fair questions. And then finally, 
what are they doing to it? Are, you know, if it's, if it's a piece of steak, are they, are they putting, you know, tons of hormones in it? Are they taking any of the, the great vitamin A and nutrition out of it? Um, and I think those three questions, we will find better food, better salt, and, you know, better mountain bikes. <laughs> <laughs> and overall better quality of life yeah. with all of them. <laughs> you know, I, I love the idea of, of intentional living um, yeah. and voting, voting for the type of world we want to live in with the dollars that we spend. Yeah. Um, and, and I can't, I don't, I don't always follow that. I mean, there's times I'll just go grab something cheap. Um, but I think the more intentional we can be and we can encourage our friends and families to be, and, and we use the money that we have to vote for the type of world and the type of products we want to live in. Um, it might be overly utopian, but I love that idea of, of all of us being more intentional with oh, yeah. our, our purchases and the way we choose to live. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I think we both very much agree with that. Yeah. And I think, you know, you hear a lot of like, oh, you can, you know, you can afford to eat that way or something, but I also think it comes down to a matter of priorities and, you know, where your priorities are in life. And Maddie and I have definitely talked about this a lot and like eating well and changing the food systems is a huge priority for us. And that's going to begin with spending our money intentionally on good food, good salt, you know, good water. Yeah. And when you intentionally spend that money on those healthy foods and intentionally invest in your health that's what you're doing you're investing so that later on down the road hopefully you're not spending a bunch of money on medical bills yeah yeah so yeah. Um, well thank you so much for all of this this has been yeah. so amazing just <laughs> feeding our love for redmond's real salt <laughs> yeah we kind of when we wrap um, an episode up we love to just ask our guests like if there's any piece of advice you could offer our listeners just anything that would come to mind um yeah. What would that be? Yeah. It's just like, like a, life. yeah, an easy, healthy or an easy, sorry, I can't talk an easy piece of advice. Anyone could incorporate into their life to help improve their health. Well, I, uh, I'm just going to use the easy answer. And that's the one I just gave, I think. Um, and it's, it, I, I use it because it's a good reminder for me too, yeah. is just, just to be a little more intentional. Yeah. Um, and I think if we can be a little more intentional with our, with our diet, um, you know, I think sometimes we focus on all of these things that we have to do. And I think um, sometimes it can be as easy as stop doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and rather than trying to go and, and make these great big New Year's resolution changes, right. um, it can be a lot smaller and just, you know, this over that and just try to, you know, opt to, you know, to buy, buy to buy one more thing local this week than last week, or, right. you know, maybe spend a few minutes more out in nature this week than last week. And uh, being just a little more intentional, I think we just start changing the way we think. Mm-hmm. And I think then that changes the way we live. Yeah. yeah. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Thank you so awesome. much. We, we are so excited. We're so excited to have you come on today. So we really appreciate it. Yeah. Well, thank you both for having me. It's been a, a real pleasure. Hopefully we can meet sometime soon, whether it's at one of the Redmond stores or maybe down for a mind tour, um, yeah. but really oh. appreciate your time. I would I'm, love that so much. Yeah, I'm <laughs> always in the Redmond store. So <laughs> hopefully that will happen soon. But yeah. thank you so much. It was yeah. so nice meeting you. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> Bye.